Hello, this is Mev from Gaia Kosovo, and you are listening to the fifth episode of the Reflection Podcast series. Today I will be speaking with Bruno Motik, a permaculture designer, owner and founder of Green Tools Tech, a startup that supports regenerative farmers, organic growers, gardeners, permaculturists, and other people who devoted their life to sustainable land practices. He has helped to create the recycle estate of Vukomeric that is located near Zagreb in Croatia. He organizes permaculture design courses and workshops about building with natural material. Today Bruno will discuss with us about permaculture and regenerative agriculture. Bruno for joining us for our reflection podcast series. Uh, this is our fifth episode. We wanted to talk about a topic that it's very important for us in Gaia. We've been trying to practice it. We've been talking about it. We've been talking to people about it. We wanted to also see your point of view and what is happening over there where you're living in Croatia, right? Yeah, okay. So we can we can start maybe with basics since uh, permaculture it's relatively new. It started in the 70s. And f- for what I know, it's this silent revolution happening. I think it's always worth starting with the basics. Please tell us what is permaculture according to you and how do you explain it to people? Okay, I'll try. I'll try to explain it. But uh, at the very start of this pod- podcast, you have already given me the most difficult job, and that is explaining uh, permaculture in short. And that's really hard because why? Uh, because uh, permaculture is a lot of things. It's not just one thing. And I can do, uh, you know, like this uh, theoretical uh, sentence that says permaculture is a design of sustainable habitats for humans uh, in accordance with natural uh, uh, patterns and stuff like that. But actually, it's, it's a lot of things. And it can be a lot of things, not just uh, one practice. And it, it really depends on uh, what are you trying to achieve as an individual or, or a group or a company or whatever, you know. So, yeah, permaculture basically is a design strategy and it... Uh, looks at nature how the nature solves th- things so there are lots of lots of things where, where we can learn from na- nature for example if we look at our wastewater systems uh, they are filled with some chemicals that are not supposed to be there and so what the nature does it engages some kinds of microorganisms or plants or fungi or whatever to make this water clean again and we can actually harness this power of nature and uh, you know just copy the solutions that are already there in nature and we can apply them in our own living systems whether it's you know whether it's urban permaculture or it's rural or it's a farm or a company or whatever yeah on the example of wastewater we have this uh, composting toilets and we have uh, uh, gray water management systems that are made to mimic 
marshlands or swamps, you know, the habitats in nature where there is lots of excess of some kinds of uh, molecules or some, some other kinds of things. And then nature, nature solves it in a, in a certain way. Yeah, and we can mimic that and we can make then uh, reef beds and uh, just systems that will make the water clean again in, in our own uh, habitat. And so we can we can do that as well, uh, for example, in food production or in some other areas of our life. So we can engage natural solutions wherever they are needed. And and in my opinion, we are not, you know, since since we we discovered science and technology, and which is all good and great. I I'm not. Uh, technophobic person and I don't think that we should be going back in history and not using the technology but I just think that uh, the, the science is not yet looking enough into how the nature works and uh, how we should be co cooperating it with it more to have really sustainable systems you know for so for example I've been studying a lot of soil science because uh, when I first started, it was it was already 20 years ago when I first started uh, gardening with my first permaculture group in uh, here in Croatia, close to Zagreb in Vukomeric. Of course, we first started gardening. We wanted to grow our own food, and we were struggling. We were we were str struggling really hard with uh, how to start a real really good garden that will not be heavy to maintain and, and heavy with resources, you know, with water and everything else. So we were uh, trying to find solutions for, for it to work. And it was not until I discovered uh, the work of Elaine Ingham, who, who is, not, she's actually not even related to the permaculture movement, but a lot of people from the permaculture movement look at her work because it's really valuable. And, and that's when I discovered uh, the importance of microorganisms that are the drivers of uh, all these biochemical processes that make a system fertile. So again, we are mimicking a natural system, but we have to uh, understand it first to, to, to know how to mimic it. And so, yeah, a lot of a lot of people will go on with permaculture and start designing things in I don't know spiral shapes. There, there are these spiral beds uh, that some people use, but it's 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 not exactly the point. The point is to to look at how the biochemicals pro processes work, and then try to apply that in our food systems. So, yeah, I mentioned I mentioned gardening here. But uh, actually, there's a huge movement called regenerative agriculture that's on the rise in the world right now as we speak. And uh, it um, actually takes the same principles as, as permaculture. Uh, so it looks into the soil, it looks how it works and tries to work with it rather than competing. You know? and, and I think we've been competing with nature for too long time we've been competing it with for a few thousands of years maybe even ten thousands of years so it's um, since we started plowing basically since we starting destroying the ecosystems to make food yeah i think it, the, the only way that we are going to get out of this mess as a species as a civilization is through 
regenerative agriculture that uses natural-based solutions to address the problems. So nature then is our greatest teacher, right? And from what I understand, you're saying that we need to change our point of view, maybe to a more ecocentric or biocentric way of working and thinking, uh, one with nature, not as we and nature or we uh, humans against natures, right? Yeah, exactly. But I don't think it's, it's contrary to science, you know, because science has its limitations and we just need to uh, have more science on how the nature works. That, that's at least my opinion, you know. So I think we should up, upgrade our common knowledge, all the data that we have been collecting for these couple of hundreds of years of science. And we, we just need to upgrade it a little bit with with the natural wisdom and and the knowledge that's out there and then make those two work together and that's what i think could bring a change in the way we operate on this planet because we all know that it's not sustainable right now and actually it's uh, going to be much worse if we don't completely change the paradigm of how we deal with uh, with our waste with the energy with everything basically with our food you know so this is connected to what you said now to my next question and uh, i think it's safe to call you a permaculture designer and a inventor right Okay. <laughs> okay, I, I'm fine <laughs> this, with that. This, this is what I've seen so far with my research. So, in your attempts with technology and uh, with the teachings from nature, how do you use this in your work and in your everyday life? It's a bit complicated question for me because for years I was thinking that that permaculture for me means going out of the city and building a straw bale house and then growing a bunch of vegetables, building a rocket stove, and that's it, you know. So that's what I thought that, that, that permaculture is supposed to be, and that this is how I would supposed to live, you know, and, and that by living that way, I would set an example for all the other people that also want to live sustainably. But I think that as I grew older i i just realized that it's not going to happen you know it's got it's not going to happen the way that that i imagined that there are going to be hordes of people wanting to leave the city leave their jobs uh, and just starting growing their own food and living sustainably so so i think and i mean it's just unrealistic to expect uh, a movement like that it's it's i think permaculture has its place for lots of people who who did decide uh, to live that way. But I just don't think it's enough if, if we are going to get out of this mess uh, altogether. So that's why I uh, a little bit switched my focus from permaculture and not permaculture as a set of principles, but uh, permaculture as a movement. So let me just uh, try to explain what I mean by this. Uh, I think permaculture as a set of principles is great and it offers us really good teaching tools, and there are lots of uh, good design practices that, that are out there. But as a social movement, I think permaculture became this uh, utopia. I, I think it's become a little bit, how do you call this, escapistic, I think. So you want to escape the society. And I don't think that's 
that's the way to go anymore. You know, I, for lots of years, I found myself in that uh, type of thinking, but I, I just don't think it's going to work because it, it needs to have massive, uh, we need the massive change to address all the problems that we're de dealing with right now. Uh, I'm going to criticize uh, permaculture a little bit here because I, I think as a, social, as a social movement, it did not make a good starting place for, for the change. And, that, and actually that's what I found in regenerative agriculture because here is where the farmers uh, have a lot more uh, impact. For example, let's take an example. If somebody, if there's a farmer and he has uh, hundred acres of land, and he suddenly decides to go regenerative, this is a huge thing, you know. And if there's a couple of people doing their own gardens, it's all fine for them, but it's not going to make a huge change. The principles behind permaculture are okay, but we just need to have it on a massive scale. And the way to do that is, I think, in my opinion, with regenerative agriculture. Because uh, agriculture is, at this moment, occupying most of our land mass, land area, actually. This is a huge area, huge ecosystems that are already on, under our influence. They're already under our control and and i think this is where we can try to make a, a different approach and we can win and and there are lots of farms doing it already today you know they're showing how it's done and they're showing that that, that by doing things differently we can really grow healthy food healthy crops uh, that are truly you know have medicinal properties not just health food like maintaining your health but uh through through really healthy soil we can we can uh, grow food that is going to have healing properties actually because of all the micronutrients and uh, stuff that's in there that's not in our conventional and even organic systems uh, so that's one point the other point is that uh, we can turn this huge soil into a huge carbon sink so uh, we can actually uh, reverse the global warming, the the climate change uh, problem. We can we can we can sequester CO2 that's already out there through you know industrial use, through burning of the fossil fuels and uh, everything else. We can actually reverse that process and get that carbon back into the ground where it belongs. And uh, by doing that, we can make soil even more, more fertile. So the more carbon you have in the soil, it's more fertile and the whole system works better. And then you start building biodiversity, start building soil. So, so there are lots of problems with soil loss. There's this information that we only have 60 harvests left if we continue growing food the way we are growing it right now so you know for growing food for another 60 years doesn't seem seem very sustainable but if we start sequestering uh, carbon from the atmosphere if we, if we start solving that problem uh, we actually solve a couple of other problems so it basically it's a win-win situation with the with the regenerative agriculture and so uh, let me back to uh, to your question about how I uh, work with permaculture in my everyday. Well, so apart from the fact that I did build my own straw bale house that is really efficient, uh, you know, I spend 
just a little energy uh, for keeping it warm in the winter and it's uh, south-faced, it, it's using solar sunshine, uh, you know, solar energy for heating. Apart for the, from the fact that I did uh, build some of those things in my everyday use, I also tried to design tools and other pieces of technology that are, that are going to be helpful for the farmers, for the regenerative farmers that I've already mentioned. So I started making, I started this small company. It's, it's still a one, uh, one person business. So I'm, I'm doing all the work from keeping my books and the accounting to web design, to everything, to marketing. And, and, and I'm actually making the tools still myself. Well, the first tool that I thought was essential to make a different approach to, to soil work was the broad fork is a tool that uh, allows you to aerate the soil turn the uh, it, it doesn't turn the layers of soil so when you turn layers when you plow or do a tillage or or whatever conventional uh, technique that you that people are currently doing when you do, do that uh, you are actually destroying the habitat for all the micro microorganisms and you're letting the carbon escape into the atmosphere so by using a broad fork you can actually make the soil loose and yeah as I, as I already said you can kick start the processes that need that are needed for gardening for growing the food but you don't have to destroy the habitat completely yeah and so i made the broad fork as my first tool and actually i've been making my living almost for a year now just by selling broad forks so i was pretty much focused into that and then i started the, this conversation with different farmers regenerative farmers around the, mostly around Europe. And I'm looking uh, into what, what they need and how can we build better technology for small farmers, you know, because small farming is a really important thing. We, I don't think the big industrial agriculture conglomerates are sustainable. So we need to have more people doing small scale farming on a, on a small, smaller plots. And I'm just trying to think of technological solutions that will help them become competitive at the market. Because, you know, the industrial agriculture produces food at a very cheap price. And then we have all the subsidies that the government is making. And so it's really hard to compete if you're a small farmer. But then, then that's where the appropriate technology, small scale technology, comes in where it can really reduce your labor and uh, it can reduce the number of hours that are needed to put in the production. So, so that's what I'm trying to do. So currently I'm, uh, I've been uh, cooperating with an urban farmer from Madrid, from Spain, and he asked me to design some tools for marking out the beds for planting because it's really important in those systems to have plants on the same distances on, on, the, on the garden beds. And then you have this tool that you just roll over the garden bed and it marks the places for the, for the plants where you need to plant them. And that's really reducing time further, further down the line where you need to manage uh, weeds. And then you have specifically designed hose for removing the weeds. And then you just run across the bed with this kind of tool and you eliminate the weeds in a very, very, very efficient manner. 
So then I've, I've been designing tool for quick harvesting of, of the greens. So the, you know, the salad greens, the small salads basically, or the spinach or plants like that. And you have a harvester that's drill operated like a battery powered drill uh, operated. It, it runs the knife that cuts it, that cuts the greens and uh, it puts them into a basket where you just then take it to your uh, crates or whatever. For, for selling. And then um, the most recent project I've, I've started is with uh, Richard Perkins, who is kind of iconic person in regenerative agriculture movement. He published a couple of book, books. He has this really famous farm in Sweden where he practices all the regenerative agriculture techniques that, that could set example for some future uh, food production, massive food production. And I've started cooperating with him and uh, he actually is redesigning his eggmobiles. So I'm not going to go into what eggmobiles are, but let's just say it's the way to grow pasture-raised eggs in a very regenerative way, way and very efficient. So, so I've started designing some um, equipment for his eggmobiles. And so this is the start of a new cooperation that I'm really lo looking forward to. This is this is probably it for for what's been happening with me mm. for some time. But sounds like you've been busy even in your little in, not maybe little but in your escape it sounds like you've been busy and actually even sounds like even in uh, in going away maybe from the um, urban way of living uh, you can also deal with uh, worldwide problems like what what you're doing uh, and uh, thinking of new ways of growing food and how we cultivate and how we work our land I, I, I live in the city for myself and I I go to I quite often go to the market and it's strange from how far food comes fruits and vegetables even the idea of regenerative agriculture i guess if it doesn't happen in a mass scale it's uh, the impact is not of of the of the level that one would desire yeah um yes. so how uh, how is uh, your way of doing things and permaculture maybe uh, perceived in the balkans are you are you in contact with people from other countries or have you seen are there any good practices that you could mention of what is happening in the balkans yeah okay so uh, to to be honest i've been in contact much more before uh, than i started this tool business because Now that I started this tool business, I'm much more in contact with uh, people from all around Europe, most of Western Europe. It, it's just the way it is. It's, it's because of uh, a lot of good practices, good regenerative practices are coming from English-speaking areas like US and uh, Australia. And so it's slowly spreading to Europe through you know, this kind of new way of farming. And so I don't. I have to admit I don't have much partners in Bal Balkans. For example, in Croatia, there's only one 
farm uh, well there there's a couple of farms that uh, it wouldn't be fair to say there's only one but it's still you know you can count them on the fingers of your of one of your hands you know so so it's really uh, not a lot of uh, things going on in terms of regenerative agriculture and in terms of uh, permaculture it's it's what i used to do before i, I did lots of lots of education lots of pdcs you know the permaculture design courses. I, I had much more connection to the to the Balkan groups, and there is lots of groups. But um, as I said earlier, I don't think permaculture is making that change because we have lots of groups that are trying to do something, but it just doesn't have the leverage of doing it on on a massive scale. You know, it it turns out that permaculture is perfect for small groups of people uh, doing their own thing. That's where I openly criticize permaculture as a social movement. So I think there's lots of stuff happening in, in Balkans, but most of it, it doesn't have a big impact, in my opinion. So I wouldn't like to offend anyone. I think uh, I think it's great to have eco-villages eco -villages and things like that, but uh, it's just I'm focusing more on the on the farmers and agriculture because this is basically where you can get the ecos ecosystems to meet farmers and farmers to meet customers that don't necessarily have to leave cities. You know, you can be involved in permaculture as a buyer also you know you know so you can be a person that works a normal job from nine to five in some office but still you can be a great supporter of regenerative agriculture if you buy those kinds of products this is how you impact the society and the ecosystem in a really good way so yeah that's that's why i'm not any more crazy about going you know leaving the city and and i think we have to make the whole system work together both urban system and rural and yeah I, I, and that doesn't mean that i don't think that there should be more young people living this leaving the city and uh, starting their farms actually it's quite opposite i think we need to have more more young people in farming and uh, starting their farms but uh, not like just their own gardens and they're doing their own thing but you know starting real farms that are going to be providing the mass of food in the future. That's that's at least how I feel about that. You know. Now the discussion and uh, what you're saying is uh, leading me out of the questions that I prepared, uh, <laughs> which, no which is, which is uh, <laughs> not a bad thing. It's really nice because I also like it when it's more spontaneous. And, but now that you mentioned regenerative agriculture and also that we have around maybe 60 harvests or 60 years of growing and cultivating uh, crops, how does this work in a capitalistic world and capitalistic systems? How, how how do you see it functioning? Hmm. Uh, it's 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 hard to tell for me. I, I don't know much about politics, to tell you the truth. I'm not I'm not really into that. I, I think we should change the system. I think it, it it needs a thorough change. But whether it's going going to happen or not, I'm I'm not so sure. But what I do know is that the capitalistic system is here 
and it, it's working right now. And we have to be really creative to make it fit into that system. So what, what people from the regenerative agriculture world have been doing is uh, different types of selling, you know. So we don't use supermarkets. We don't use uh, the uh, big uh, chains, the retail chains for distributing the products, not only because it's uh, more feasible, but also because of the food miles. You know what food miles are. It's, it's the distance that food needs to travel from where it's being grown to the customer, to the, to the final person who is going to eat it. So we need to, to reduce all those. So again, we have a win-win situation. We have farmer that's selling his products directly to customers. So there's a lot of different ways that you can do it. There are CSAs, there are these things uh, called RICO that, that are growing like mushrooms in Europe. You know, so there's lots of different models that try to make this work. And it really does work in a capitalistic system. So, you know, I've seen people buying uh, regeneratively or homegrown food from, you know, black market things, you know, like uh, selling stuff out of their cars. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a bit funny. It's like something undercover. It's something very illegal, but it's actually just the high quality food that's really healthy that you are distributing out of your car, you know, to, to really complex systems where you have uh, this system of online payments and online orders where, you know, everything is put together. So there, there's lots of different models. You can, you can make it as a cooperative. So it, it gives you uh, some benefits if you are organized as a cooperative or you can organize it as a non-formal group so, yeah, lots of ways to go around it, but uh, the thing we have to go around is is the supermarkets, I think. And that's that's where we can hit the sweet spot where where the farmers can actually make a living and, and not, you know, uh, in Croatia, lots of farmers are poor and, and that's a really big problem. You know, it, it's a huge problem. We have to have farming that makes money that you can have a city wage. I, I've studied graphical design, so I'm, I'm going to use this as an example. So I don't see a reason why person that's sitting behind the computer and designing things for eight hours or I don't know how much hours per day should have a bigger, bigger pay than a farmer who is often, you know, getting up in the middle of the night to deliver sheep, for example, or to repair what's been broken by wind, that sort of stuff. So when you're into farming, it's definitely not, not a nine to five job. You cannot go home after five and forget about your job. It's a 24 hour a day uh, work. So I don't think that that's, it, it's fair that people who are feeding us should be poor and should have, should be paid less than, uh, than people in, that are working just urban jobs. You know, so, so I think through, through kind of uh, ingenuity, we can make it work even in capitalism, you know. That's what, what those groups have been demonstrating for, mm. uh, for some times now. Yeah. yeah, sounds like bypassing capitalism, just like you uh, yeah, going around it. 
Yeah, um, a little bit. <laughs> but it it also, I guess, takes a lot of awareness of of the consumers, of the people who are uh, buying products, because advertising and all of this. I know a lot of people that prefer the shiny stuff that is wrapped and rather than going to people here the market is on Saturdays and you have all the farmers from the villages around coming and selling their produce which is not maybe doesn't have the looks of what is sold in the shops and we you are aware of this and many of us are but it's it's very hard and about the food kilometers some years ago I was going to the shop and they were selling potatoes from Egypt, which uh, oh was v- very weird for me because in the region where I live, it, it's known for the good potatoes. But then the supermarkets basically, yeah, they're, they're refusing local produce because it's not of a certain standard and go for the Egyptian potatoes, which is, which was, which is bizarre for me. But, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah. And it's not only the standards, it's also the price, because when you have this big egg uh, systems, uh, you, you know, you just plow uh, soil, throw in a bunch of chemicals and you can have you can have produce for a really, really cheap price. And then and then the subsidies come in, you know, and it disrupts the whole thing. The, the, so I, I, I personally think that subsidies should be completely eliminated in in agriculture maybe you know maybe for some uh, special cases of uh, of destruction uh, from uh, natural disasters but uh, you know just for uh, planting corn or soybeans or potatoes uh, at in a monoculture way it, it it doesn't have make any sense to to have subsidies for those kinds of things. And then you can, uh, there's lots of uh, manipulation with those prices on the market. So it's, you know, it's become a business and then it's all upside down in my opinion. The good thing that I see is that this organic movement is on the rise. More and more people are starting to think about food either out of necessity because they're unhealthy or, or maybe uh, they're just trendy, you know. I, I think even the fact that the organic movement has become trendy in in the urban environments, I think of it as as a good fact, you know. I don't care about how uh, there's lots of people posting, you know, hashtag organic on Instagram <laughs> when uh, they're they're buying organic food. It's 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 all good, you know. It's more the more people that that want to buy organic, the, the, the better, I think. And I see it's a trend, it's it's on the rise. For example, if you want to compare it from when I first started to be aware of those things about 20 years ago, and now I see a huge difference. I see lots of people starting to, to realize and to appreciate the importance of healthy grown food. And then on the other hand, you have, you have this... Uh, pandemic of, of obesity in especially in the USA and UK and I think it's just a trend that it's slowly coming in into Europe as well and uh, basically uh, obesity and diabetes and all, all of those uh, sicknesses and, and illnesses are basically the illnesses of the modern industrial agriculture system so that's that's what it is you know it's if if you 
eat industrial food, it makes you fat, you know, that's, that's just the, the way it is, you know. If, so if you outsource all of your food to co corporations, it's going to be really low quality and it's not going to be good for your health. And even now with the, with the COVID, we can see that apart from the older generations, the most influenced people by the COVID are the ones having problems with obesity and, and diabetes. And so basically, I think it's just a little push into, you know, starting to think about our food more properly and where it comes from. Is it uh, how it's how it's you know produced and everything else? And there's also this this uh, one more interesting thing that uh, really regeneratively grown food is uh, much more nutrient dense, but it's much much more nice to eat. You know, there's lots of more flavor in the food that's been grown regeneratively. You know, for, so for example. You know, everybody talk, talks about tomatoes there. You can clearly see the difference between the mass-produced hydroponic uh, uh, tomatoes that have no, no taste or smell. Basically, it's a, you know, uh, it's a round uh, red bowl pumped with uh, water and some artificial fertilizers. And uh, the difference from that to the tomato that, that has really good smell and uh, it tastes really good, but it's not just that, you know, so you mentioned pot potatoes. So I buy my potatoes from a biodynamic farm here close to close to Zagreb. And it's, you know, that it's just a completely different story than buying any other potatoes that, that I have ever bought. You know, it's just, uh, it's a heaven to, to eat them. They're, they're so delicious. And I think people might start paying a little bit more attention to how the food tastes and a little less attention to how it looks and how it's packaged, you know. So, so that's where I see an advantage of, of uh, regeneratively or organically grown food. Yeah, I agree about the tomatoes and potatoes. <laughs> so I will slowly move to the last question. What you mentioned now about uh, being more aware and choosing the kind of food and uh, produce that is not part of the industry. Quite often people tell me that they go for what's cheapest because they're standard and also it's more convenient to go to a store nearby than traveling miles to maybe get the good potatoes. I know that you mentioned a few things during our conversation, but for the end, what do you think that permaculture or regenerative agriculture How can they be used in the region? Because in, the, in our podcast, we've been trying to have this Balkan overview uh, and of our peninsula. Uh, what do you think has to be done in order to achieve a broader change, e be it in our food society or in the environment? Yeah, yeah, it's a big question and there's lots of things that need to be done. And a lot of those things come from the top, you know, from the politicians that are, it's just hard to make them do the right thing and do the right policies. You know, for example, you know, Croatia has been a farming country for ages, you know, for hundreds of years, it's, it's been a farming land because it's so fertile. By the way, it's not fertile anymore because of the 
the industrial agriculture uh, and now it's completely uh, devastated people are not uh, earning any more money in agriculture is really in a really bad place in croatia right now i can say about croatia as an example but i, I guess it uh, applies for the other balkan con- countries as well some people are joking about trump's catchphrase let's make make uh, america great again so the summer regenerative farmers have been saying let's make farming great again and that's what i think that we need to do and we shouldn't be waiting for the politicians to to you know cut uh, the subsidies and start subsidizing the small farmers and uh, supporting the right things i think we we can start doing it on ourselves and uh, it's going to be slow but uh, i think there's a tipping point where some things reach a critical mass and then it just becomes mainstream and then the politicians follow with their laws and and uh, the policies and everything they can do so if you can start a csa group or rico group in your local environment so you can that's what each and every one of us can can uh, start right now if it's not available at this moment in your area so you can you can uh, find local farmers and and small scale farmers and talk to them and see whether they would be uh, liked to be included in some sort of scheme like that you know there are lots of different ways to do it there for example the rico system uses just the facebook groups so you do, you don't even have to have some co- complicated online platform for that you can use what's already out there you can use facebook and you just start a group and uh, see how it develops of course it would be wise to to educate a little bit uh, to to see how the existing groups work you know just so you don't have to repeat the mistakes that that have that some people already already solved you know so that that's one thing of course the other thing i'm still supporter of moving out of the city and starting the farm you know it's still something i i, I would really like to see happening on a on a massive scale and i think it's 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 already happening in europe so i think it's a trend that is going to come into in balkan regions as well you know so the more and more young people just want to be involved in the food movement and the climate change movement in, and basically when you're farming this way the regenerative way you are bringing those two things together so starting a farm can be a really a really good thing to do you know not not a lot of people are ready to commit for a long period of time because you know buying a piece of land is expensive and doing the investment and maybe some people will have to go to a bank for a loan to start it so it's a big responsibility and a huge investment but i think it it can provide really good living for people who are willing to to do it you know so that's that's the other way that could be done and it, it of course it doesn't exclude the work of what all the ngos are doing the people who are trying to get the governments to write better laws about you know nature protection about everything about biodiversity you know basically what's gaia been doing for all these years it it definitely doesn't exclude that it it has its place there and it's really important work the activism and and all those things that's actually been my focus you know i, I haven't been thinking about what all the options out there are but uh, 
that that's what's interesting to me at least you know starting a farm and starting uh, direct sale groups that's that's what's uh, really important and i think there's there there's a big opportunity here you know it's opportunity to to make a living not just uh, do it as a side like your hobby uh, or something like that it's actually something that you can really make a living of uh, when, when when you get involved in that yeah, yeah well it's a lot already i i hope people will get inspired and start their farms Thank you for being our guest and sharing with us what you're doing and your thoughts on the topic. See you around in some market or some food movement. <laughs> yeah, thank you for inviting me. Thank you for listening. This episode was created with the help of Celia Duplessis and Jeremy Florent. Graphic design, Isabella Markova theme song I'll Go Out to Run Now by Le Gang. You can listen to the Reflection Podcast on Spotify and SoundCloud. Back to you next week.